Hey, Jason here. And Paul. Got a couple quick announcements, fun announcements, before we get to the episode today. So we mentioned on a recent episode that we were working on putting together a Discord and a Patreon, and guess what? It's here. Both of them. Both of them are here for you to enjoy. So let's talk about Discord first. Maybe you're familiar with Discord, but if not, let me give you a quick little idea of what it's about, because I was not super familiar with Discord until fairly recently. So here's how it works. Instagram is all about photos and videos, right? Right. Facebook is all about keeping up with your friends. Yeah, important life moments. Throw it on Facebook, let your family see. Yeah. Twitter, you know, you just throw out little blurbs and have kind of interactions with people that way. What I think Discord really excels at, what it's specifically built for, is to facilitate conversations and communication with people, like more in-depth than you can do on any of those other social media platforms. So essentially, if you come to our Discord server, you're going to find a bunch of chat rooms where you can talk about the podcast. You can talk about your vacation plans if you want to go to Japan and want to kind of bounce some ideas off of people or something. Maybe you want to ask for advice. You know, we're on there a lot, helping people out, answering questions. Maybe you want to share some Japan pics. Maybe you want to look at other people's pics, get an idea of what kind of places you might want to go. Maybe you're really into anime. Some great anime conversations going on. We have a place for Japan-related memes. All this stuff and more awaits. I've really been enjoying people sharing their travel plans. I think it's cool to look at what do other people want to do? What are other people planning? Yeah, it's been really fun. I'm super excited about this. It just lets us have a more open communication pathway with our listeners. Come for the travel planning, stay for the memes. There you go. So if you want to join the Discord, you can find a link in the show notes for this episode and every future episode. You can also find the link on our website under the travel tools section, because I think this is going to be really useful for people that are planning to travel to Japan or just like Japan, you know. We just talk about Japan. It's fun. Well, Jason, you also mentioned that we now have a Patreon. I did, and we do. (laughs) Patreon.com slash Sightseeing Japan podcast. So you can head on there if you want to further support the podcast. And you get some perks in return. Yeah. Few of the benefits you can get on there right now is early access to episodes before they're released voting on episode topics for upcoming seasons and access to the list of episodes for the current season so you can see what's coming ahead of time. At the $10 a month tier, you can even get a shout out on the podcast. By the way, shout out to Nicholas McKibben, our first Shogun level patron. Thank you, Nicholas. Nicholas. So if you want to join our Patreon, you can also find the link to that in the show notes or on our website under the donate section. Our website is sightseeingjapanpodcast.com, by the way. Have we announced all our announcements? That's it for now. Great. Let's start this episode, eh, Paul? Let's do it. Welcome to Sightseeing Japan. The podcast where we explore the land of stealth assassins. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. How you doing, Paul? Dandy. Yeah? Yeah. You excited for this, I, uh, this topic? I'm very excited. Really? Yeah. That's very interesting. You think I wouldn't be excited? Yeah. Yeah, I do think that. 
Oh, oh. Come at me, bro. Okay, so so I got to say, t- today's topic has been requested multiple times. People have been asking for this. And and I was just shooting it down exactly. and being like, I don't know, Jason. I got to throw you under the bus, Paul. Paul is the reason that it took us so long to get to this topic. What's going on, Paul? I'm just dumb sometimes. That's, that's all you got to say? <laughs> I'm a history guy, all right? And... We're going to be dealing with a lot of vagaries and myths today. I guess that's true. But I'm over it. It's cool. All it's, right. It's going to be awesome. Good. Yeah, I'm excited about this. I thought the research was really interesting, actually. Has everyone guessed yet what we're talking about? I suppose they saw the name of the episode when they clicked play, right? Land, I think there's kind of one big thing that comes to mind based on what you said at the very, your very first sentence there. Can we go the whole episode without saying the word? <laughs> That would be pretty sneaky, pretty on theme. <laughs> well, we're, I was going to talk about the etymology, so we should probably okay, say all it. Right, all right, fair enough. All right, so today we're talking about ninja. Paul, do you know what ninja translates to? Those who act in stealth? Or is that the translation for shinobi? I mean, they're very similar, those two terms. I saw a ninja translated as one who is invisible. Okay. I saw quite a few ways to translate it. Yeah. Yeah. It has but, to do with sneaking. Right. I saw Shinobi specifically translated as one who sneaks. Okay. So invisible, sneaky, kind of the same thing. Yeah. Nuances. Going down the same road there. Yeah. So I saw that historically the word ninja actually wasn't really used all that much. These people were mostly referred to as Shinobi, which is short for Shinobi no Mono. Right, Paul? Mm-hmm. But there were also actually a lot of other names used in various regions of Japan for these people, like Monomi, one who sees. Oh. Nokizaru, which I think is really fun because it means a macaque on the roof. Remember, we've talked about macaques. Yeah. Those monkeys, yeah. right? The snow monkeys are macaques. Yeah. They're just hanging out on the roof in the darkness, watching everything going on down below. Okay. I like this one too, kusa, which just means grass. Like they're so invisible, they just they just fade into the grass. Blend in with the grass. Yeah. Okay. These are all great names. Yeah. So these days, both of these terms, ninja and shinobi, are used in Japan. But in the West, ninja is much more popular. I saw the reasoning for that was mostly this, that it's easier to say. Like it just kind of caught on because it's quicker. I mean, shinobi doesn't seem like that difficult of a word to say, but... Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe movies... Movies started using the word ninja. They picked one, they did ninja, and now everyone knows what it means. Sure. Another fun note I had is uh, about the word kunoichi. Have you heard of that? Or had you heard of that? No. Uh, You see it sometimes in reference to female ninja. And it's got a super interesting story behind it, which may or may not be true. So supposedly this word came from the kanji for ona, which means woman. Because if you break this kanji out into its individual strokes, they're the same strokes for ku in hiragana, no in katakana, and then the kanji for ichi, which is just like a single horizontal line. If you stick all those together, it forms the kanji for woman. So yeah, it's an interesting idea, but there's actually almost no evidence that there ever were female ninjas. I saw that at most, like sometimes a ninja would use a woman in certain situations, like for infiltrating something, you know, some places are more easily infiltrated by women. 
I've heard that they may have occasionally used the tried and true honeypot oh, yeah. technique, uh, but it's a little bit unclear. Like, were the women doing that full fledged ninjas, or were they women hired by the ninja or brought in by the ninja? Yeah, it seems like there was some controversy on that point, but it seems like most historians agree that there were not actually any female ninjas. That's what I saw, anyway. Um, another thing I want to mention real quick here when we're talking about words is that when you're talking about multiple ninjas, you can either say ninjas with the S on the end because that's kind of how English works, or you can just say ninja because that's how Japanese works. Like, they don't put S's on the end of plural words. So I find myself kind of vacillating between the two. In my mind, it's always been ninja for the plural. I like that. Like, just when I think about it, I prefer that. But sometimes I find myself saying ninjas. So Yeah, yeah, yeah I might too sometimes. I can tell you Google Docs was annoying me by trying to modify every time I wrote ninja to ninjas. Oh, man, sometimes autocorrect makes me so mad. <laughs> like, it's like, really? You thought that's what I was trying to write? <laughs> yeah. So, Jason, I think everybody's got an idea in their mind of what a ninja is. Probably. They're pretty pervasive in, uh, I think, Eastern and Western culture. Like They're kind of famous all over the world because they're, it's just a really cool image, you know? These really sneaky, really skilled martial arts dudes that can yeah. kind of do anything. So were ninja really like we all imagined them to be? Probably not. Like, almost definitely no. <laughs> so here's what I think of, or what I used to think of, or what I think most people think of when they hear the word ninja. You're imagining a person dressed all in black. That's a given, yes. right? All in black. Maybe only their eyes poking out. Like the rest of their body is completely covered. Maybe they got a couple crossed swords on their back so they can just like whip them out real quick and hack somebody to pieces. Maybe they got a belt full of shuriken, little throwing stars that they can whip out at people. And, and they're just like undefeatable. Jumping through the trees, climbing fences and yeah, walls can, with ease. They can just vanish into thin air. That's a ninja, right? Not really. Okay. Ninja actually do less than I imagine they did, but they also do more than I imagine they did. What? We'll, we'll get into it later, but there's a lot of things that ninja did that I had no idea that ninja actually did these things. Mm, yeah, it's kind of a more expansive job than... Yeah, it's not just all nighttime assassination. There's a lot more going on. Yeah, it's almost a whole lifestyle. Like, it's kind of more than just a job. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Paul, let's talk some ninja history. What do you say? Sounds good. Okay. So, I think most of the popular ideas about ninja in the world today are really based more on folklore than actual history. Because there really isn't a ton of solid historical information about what these people were actually like. The ninja were naturally sneaky and quiet about what they were doing. It kind of makes sense that we wouldn't have a ton of records about them because they didn't really want people knowing about them. <laughs> a ton of the training was done orally, so there were no written records for other people to find out their secrets. Yeah, so like in my research, I came across a lot of contradictions between different sources, and I think a lot of it has to do with people conflating these legends and stuff with historical fact. And 
you know, it takes some digging to really figure out what is actually based on archaeology and historical texts and what's just kind of embellished or made up entirely. Not just all the mythical stuff, but there's also a bit of a gray line between who actually was a ninja or wasn't a ninja. It wasn't a super clearly defined thing. That's very true. It's also not 100% clear exactly where these ninja came from, like which social classes became ninja. I saw that uh, like one potential reason for the lack of solid information is that the ninja originally probably came from the lower classes. But then I also saw some other things say, well, these ninja families that formed were actually kind of like samurai families or at least closely related to them. I don't know, it's, it's kind of weird. It is. I think there might be something to the fact, too, that who was writing history at the time were kind of the upper class samurai. So they wrote about themselves a lot. Yeah. And they didn't want to write about the dirty deeds of the people they paid to go do these things. Totally. They wanted to write about their own honor and glory. Yeah. So going back to like the very beginning of ninja history, I mean, throughout Japanese history, of course, there were always like spies and covert operatives. There are always people doing sneaky things, right? But even way back when, this was considered pretty dishonorable. These types of people were not well-respected in society. But you could consider like those types of people to be the predecessors of ninja. Yeah, absolutely. But when did actual like ninja ninja come about, Paul? I mean, the oldest thing I could find that seemed really related to people that actually were ninja was that as early as about the 11th century, the inhabitants of the Iga and Koka areas started gaining a reputation for their skills in unconventional warfare. Both of those places are close to Kyoto, but they're also remote because it's very rugged, hilly land. So it was a good place to be close enough to get involved but also somewhere you could hide out. Yeah, these places were kind of like surrounded by mountains and a little bit like isolated from outsiders. So they kind of were able to form their own culture in there. So it seems to me that ninja, the the golden age of ninja was around the 15th century or started around then during the Sengoku period. And what makes these people actual ninja is that they formed professional mercenary groups that were specifically trained to be ninja. They were trained in all these skills that they would eventually use as ninja. Yeah. This is also when that word shinobi no mono or just shinobi started to be used to refer to these groups specifically. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about the Sengoku period a bunch before. This is a super tumultuous time period, basically constant civil war in Japan. There are all these warlords running around vying for power. And these Iga and Koga clans, I know, Paul, you said Koka, I'm saying Koga. Did you find those two words in your research? Yeah. I saw that Koga is like, the the term Koga came after Koka, and these days it's mostly used to refer to the people, and Koka is used to refer to the place. Okay. I don't know, kind of weird. So you might hear us mixing up those, but they're both accurate. Seems to be a very similar sound sometimes in Japanese, or it's almost between the G and the K in yeah. some words. Yeah, maybe it's just some Westerner that like misheard and wrote it down wrong <laughs> and it just became a thing or something. Yeah. 
Anyway, so the Iga clan was from rural Mie prefecture. The Koga clan was from Shiga prefecture. And they both kind of developed these ninja techniques and formed paramilitary groups for self-defense against the people who might try to subjugate them. Because, like I said, there are all these warlords running around. They're always grabbing land and people and power. And, you know, the Iga and Koga people just wanted to be kind of left alone. I even heard that they fought the nearby villages. It wasn't just the warlords fighting. Like, even the villages would fight for territory Mm. during these times. I mean, it was such a turbulent time, and there was so little actual order that it's like the labels of, oh, this guy's a daimyo, and this guy is a samurai, and this guy works under this guy. Like, it all kind of blends together, and there is no clear structure on, like, is this a lord? Is he just kind of the governor of this town? Like... It's hard to say. It's kind of the same thing. It doesn't really matter. All that matters is this person has power over these people, and there's all sorts of weird stuff going on. Yeah. Very messy time in Japanese history. Yeah. So these two clans, the Iga and Koga, I'm just going to keep saying that to drill that into people's heads (laughs) because those are the big ones that we're going to keep talking about. They kind of formed the core of ninja culture, it seems like. They honed all sorts of skills for guerrilla warfare, and then they took those skills and they would sell their services as mercenaries to daimyo or, you know, whatever people in power had the money to pay them, basically. So because of these special skills that they had developed, these clans became famous across the country and sometimes even helped train other ninja in other parts of the country. So I thought this was really cool. I didn't realize this till I did this research. There were actually entire villages devoted to training ninja. Yeah. It's just, just such a cool mental image. You know, I imagine them having a bunch of obstacle courses set up or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've seen some like anime where it's like ninja village and they're just all training and stuff. I didn't know that was like actually real until I started researching this. Yeah, well, I know even in a past episode, we talked about I think it's Togakure Ninja Village. In one of the region episodes, we talked about this place where you could go, and it's like, oh, okay. I mean, that's kind of more historically accurate than I realized. They actually had ninja villages. (laughs) Yeah. And I also thought this was fascinating. So, like, there are all these ninja families that were organized into guilds, and then, you know, we're talking about the Iga and Koga clans. So, it's like... I guess they're a lot more organized than I realized. Like, there's actually a whole ninja hierarchy. I guess before I always thought that they were all just kind of operating on their own, independently, you know? Mm. I did not have that same misconception. Probably some anime I watched had, like, a ninja family clan or something. So I was like, oh, of course they have a head guy. I just never imagined, like, a group of ninja hanging out together you always see them on their own. Like one ninja is trying to infiltrate this, mm, yeah. this place or something. Yeah, and when you see them in like Western movies or video games or stuff, you get a lot of lone ninja that are just absolute badasses and don't need anybody's help. Yeah. Okay, so you might wonder, I mean, if there are all these warlords running around, of course they had armies of samurai that are fighting each other, right? So why would they also need to hire ninja? Why weren't the samurai good enough? There were lots of things that samurai just didn't want to do. It was too dishonorable. They didn't want to dirty their hands. They sure did like their honor, those samurai. Yeah, you got to live by the Bushido, right? Yeah. 
You can't uh, spy, scout, or assassinate if you're a samurai. The scouting part to me is crazy. Like, how do you run an army and not scout? You just walk right into an ambush? Yeah, you just run up there like, I fight until I die. (laughs) That's all that's on my mind. But the further you go back in history, you get some crazy things with warfare before this like modern, more all-out warfare where the two sides would just meet and they would like pick who they were going to fight sometimes. And like, it was not the same. It was very much like dueling and that sort of thing. Like the samurai would duel each other and decide who won rather than like all out. We're going to try to kill each other in whatever way possible. You're saying a lot of warfare was like more structured than people think. Yeah. It was like ritualistic in some societies, the further back you go. That's really interesting. Yeah. I'm going to take your word for it because I know you're the the history guy, but uh, yeah, I'd never heard anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, you see that in movies sometimes where like the leaders come together and they're like, hey, man, we don't need to bring our armies into this. How about you and me? Let's just settle this. Yeah. You know? I mean, you go back to ancient Western myth, David and Goliath deciding a battle or the Trojan War, Achilles fighting uh, that other guy. Trojan War, wasn't that with the horse? Yeah, but Achilles dueled the prince of that city. All, right. all I know is the horse. Him. Okay, all right, fair <laughs> enough. Anyway. Anyways. So this idea of the samurai being too honorable to stoop to these kinds of things, I thought that was really fun to read about because that's actually a major plot point in the popular video game Ghost of Tsushima. Mm. I told you about that, Paul. Uh, about 25 times. So, I think you've also mentioned it on the podcast four or five times, probably. So you know exactly what I'm referring to, right? Uh, yeah. Okay, well, why, don't, why don't you tell everybody about it then? Uh, why does this relate to, <laughs> to this topic? Because <laughs> the samurai were honorable. Well, one of the main sources of conflict in the game is that the main character, he was raised as a samurai by his uncle, but when the Mongols invade Japan, he has to resort to like secretive shinobi-like tactics to fight them. And when the uncle finds out that he's been doing all this stuff, hiding in the grass and using smoke bombs and whatever, he's super unhappy about it, telling him that he's dishonoring the family and the very idea of being a samurai. That's wow. like a huge plot point. It runs through the entire game. Wow. Yeah. Imagine going fighting for your life, fighting for your country. All your friends are dying and you come home and they're just like, you're disgusting. I can't believe you've done this. I know. It is kind of funny, like the way it hits you when you're playing the game. And it's like, dude, I'm like one of the only survivors of this battle. I'm surrounded by dead relatives and friends and stuff. Who all died honorably and you came home. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's weird, but. I mean, it, you know, historically, I guess it makes sense. That's how it was. That's how samurai culture was. Yeah, when you're raised a certain way, that's just how you see the world. Yeah. Okay, so we're talking about the Iga and Koga clans, right? We said they had their golden age during the Sengoku period, but a guy by the name of Oda Nobunaga kind of messed up that whole situation, right? Yeah, he wanted all of Japan under his control, so he took over... <laughs> All of Japan, yeah, including all the ninja areas. So to sum it up, I think the way I understood it is like he defeated the Koga clan, he subjugated the survivors, and then he kind of went around and mostly wiped out the remaining clans. 
but a few of those ninja like still stuck around and were hired by really important people. I mean, like I said, some of them joined Oda Nobunaga. The Tokugawas also hired a bunch of the remaining ninja after that. And these ninja actually played a significant part in helping the Tokugawas rise to power, which I thought was super interesting because we've heard so much about the Tokugawa shogunate and never yeah. once had I seen a mention of ninja before, you know? Yeah. There was one very famous ninja. Is it that, that, I, that I have in my notes here? Probably. That uh, helped out the Tokugawas a lot. Is it Hattori Hanzo? Yes. Dude, you've heard that name before, right? I have, absolutely. From history or media? Both, I think. Okay. Because that name was familiar to me from uh, the Kill Bill movies. Ah, yeah, yeah. So in Kill Bill, I think he's just mentioned in the first one. It was his sword, right? Weren't they referencing his sword? Yeah, he was a legendary sword maker, which is not... That truth doesn't to seem life. to be the truth, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In real life, he was a ninja from the Iga clan, and he worked pretty closely with Tokugawa Ieyasu and helped out in several important battles. I heard that he rescued Ieyasu's wife and son who were being held hostage. That's yeah. pretty important. It's a big deal. Yeah. Reading about his life is just such an interesting character. Like, did you see that he even became a monk? Later in his life. I did, yeah. And there's a temple in Tokyo called Sainenji that he founded. <laughs> That's you can so cool. still go visit it. That's so cool. Yeah. One of the gates of Edo Castle was even named after him. Yeah, he got a lot of rewards in life. He must have been helping out a lot. Yeah. Because they kept giving him more stuff. Yeah, this gate at Edo Castle is called Hanzomon. And if you go to the Imperial Palace, which sits on the former site of Edo Castle... You can still go to Hanzomon Gate and that whole area west of the palace grounds, like that neighborhood is called Hanzomon. There's a Hanzomon station over there. Wow. Yeah. And he's just got one of the coolest names in history. Isn't it? Why is that such a cool name? I don't know. Hattori Hanzo. Tarantino really liked it, I guess. Yeah. Like, we got to put that in the movie. Right? It's a right. cool sounding name. It, it did sound cool in the movie. Yeah. It made me believe, like, this sword is special. Yeah, he's a legend. Yeah. So that brings us to the Edo period, right? Yeah. Uh, which was, of course, a time of peace. Ninjas didn't have quite as much to do, but the Tokugawa still wanted to keep an eye on things and keep everything under control prevent uprisings around the country, that sort of thing. So they hired ninjas as spies and bodyguards, and they would just send them out wherever they needed them. Mm -hmm. Paul, did you read anything about the Oniwaban? No. So this was kind of the beginning of the end for the ninja, I think. Mm. So the shogunate created the Oniwaban, which was like their official intelligence agency and secret service. Ah. So it kind of took a lot of business away from the ninjas. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, this is another one of those kind of weird things where there's some controversy because some people refer to the Oniwaban as ninja, but apparently there was no real link between the original ninja clans and this new intelligence agency. So, yeah. Or maybe uh, that's what they want us to think. Yeah, who knows? But around this time, there were also some shinobi manuals that were written. Mm, yeah. Did you read about that at all? I did. And. I think it's really cool, but I was also like, hmm, maybe they're writing it to like try to preserve the knowledge before it dies. But it's interesting that they're writing it, a lot of this stuff, like 50 plus years after 
a lot of it was really being used in warfare. Exactly. I got the impression that this might be where things started to get a little embellished. You know, this is where those ideas started to form of Ninja being really cool, super highly skilled, and maybe even like supernatural type figures. Yeah. Also in the Edo period, Ninja were portrayed in theater in ways that were sometimes really embellished. Yeah, they started becoming popular in Kabuki. And one thing I saw in that is that the throwing stars got so attached to the idea of a ninja because they would often use that in the theater to let you see the difference between them and a samurai because a samurai would have a sword, so they would give the ninja the throwing stars to give them a different weapon, even though ninjas use swords all the time as well. Yeah, interesting. I also saw that this is where that idea of them being dressed all in black might have come from because the idea was that stagehands would wear all black so they just blend it into the background. I think they still do that even today, right? Yeah. So in these plays, the ninja would also wear black to kind of stress that idea that they're invisible. They're super sneaky. They can just blend into the shadows. So yeah, I think you could kind of sum up the Edo period as the time where the last of the ninja were slowly dying off. And at the same time, the idea of ninja was really being built up in the national psyche and you know they started to get immortalized in folklore and theater right yeah so by the end of the edo period it seems like the ninja are starting to fade into myth yeah but they were seen as like super super cool like james bond types you know like jump out of a helicopter and they are super cool (laughs) they are yeah not many of them around at that point and after the restoration Samurai and ninja kind of both faded away. They pretty much disappeared. And there's really no need for them anymore under the new government, so people mostly forgot about them. Uh, In the late 1950s, the idea of ninja started to make a resurgence because they started appearing in novels, in period dramas. And since then, I think pretty much the whole world has become fascinated by these dudes. Mm -hmm. They definitely appeared in a bunch of American media, especially in the 90s when we were growing up. Beverly Hills Ninja. Ninja Turtles. I mean, a bunch of Ninja Turtles stuff. Those were huge. Surf Ninjas. Three Ninjas. Little Ninjas. Little Ninjas. American Ninja. Okay, yeah. A lot of Ninja stuff. Absolutely. In 2017, Paul, did you know Mie University founded the world's first Ninja Research Center? Oh, that's cool. And it's in Iga, where one of those famous clans was from. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. They even opened a graduate master course in 2018. Oh, I mastered a ninja. Yeah, how cool is that? (laughs) Paul, did you see the most recent news about ninja from just last year? Not sure what you're talking about. There was this old ninja text from 1748 that was discovered in a warehouse at Kazuraki Shrine in Koka City. Oh, in Koka. Yeah. It's a handwritten copy of this book that was known to exist, but no one had ever seen it. Like it had never been found. Yeah. They just like seen references to it in other derivative works or something like that. So it talks about 48 types of ninjutsu, which is like ninja techniques. And it has instructions for making a bunch of ninja tools. My favorite part is that one of the techniques it talks about is for stopping guard dogs from barking. 
There was some sort of hand gesture technique. I didn't fully understand how that would work. This one said that if you write the kanji for Oni on your palm, like Oni demon, when a guard dog comes up, you just show your hand to the dog and then it's supposed to stop barking. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to try that sometime. Yeah, you should. So we mentioned that ninja were mercenaries essentially like stealthy soldiers that you could hire if you had enough money to pay them. And these clients that had enough money to pay them were usually daimyo, those feudal lords. And, you know, they would have some dirty work that was too distasteful for their samurai to perform. So they're just like, oh, let me me grab a ninja, have him do this stuff. No one will ever trace it back to me. It'll be perfect. But sometimes they actually saw that samurai themselves would also hire ninja, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So we we keep saying like samurai were too honorable to do this dishonorable stuff. What are these dishonorable things that ninja did, Paul? First and foremost, probably espionage of various sorts. Okay. Ninja are rightfully known to be masters of disguise, and they would do things such as infiltrating enemy territory. They could be scouting positions of the enemy or scouting terrain of the area. They could be spreading misinformation to the enemy. If they're thinking about infiltrating a building, they could just be like gathering information about how the building is laid out. You know, what's the best place to get in? Best place to escape once they get what they needed. They might uh, listen in on conversations, maybe get some passcodes, things like that. Tools that they can use to infiltrate even further. Yeah. They also sometimes carried small little saws or other tools to cut little holes in a wall to give them a peephole or something they could hear through to gain information. Yeah. So you could see why these skills would be super useful for the Tokugawa shogunate because they could keep an eye on like anyone who might try to move against the shogunate. That's one of the reasons that the Edo period was so peaceful was that they could shut down any opposition before it even got a foothold. Yeah. I also just love the reality of human nature that ninja sometimes used bribes. They also would target celebrations where people were drinking. That's smart. Just the easiest way sometimes to get what you need. Yeah. Another thing that ninja liked to do was sabotage. Like that Beastie Boys song. That was yeah, dude, one. that's exactly what was in my <laughs> mind at that moment. Sabotage! Yeah. <laughs> so the ninja sabotage usually took the form of arson. They liked burning stuff down. Are you a ninja, Jason? I'm seeing parallels. I do like fire. I do like to wear black. <laughs> <laughs> You're a little bit sneaky. I don't know. You're sneakier than I am, I think. Really? Paul. Okay. I'm okay. pretty... Don't you think I'm pretty straightforward? Yeah, yeah. You're, f- you're, you're physically, like, quiet. I move silently. I surprise yes. Yi a lot. Like, yes. when she's working on the computer and all of a sudden I'm standing next to her and yeah, she notices yeah. me and freaks out. You do, you do that. I'm stealthy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, ninjas would do things like sneak in to the enemy castle and burn it down. I found a really cool story about a group of ninja who stole a lantern from the enemy that had a family crest on it. And then they made copies of that lantern 
and then use the lanterns to like get into the castle. Like they're rolled up with their caravan or whatever. And it's yeah. like, oh, these guys, they're with us. They got the they got the family crest and they just let him in. And then the ninja set the place on fire. That's really clever. I know. They called that bakemono jutsu. Okay. The ghost technique. Oh. Isn't that cool? Yeah. They did a lot with fire. They were really creative with it. You could use a fire as a distraction. So you light one edge of the castler compound on fire and then you sneak into the other edge while everyone's distracted. Or before an attack, you could start a fire to get people distracted. You could use a fire during siege or other things to destroy supply depots. Yeah, fire is good for a lot of things. Yeah, especially back then when everything's made of wood almost. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, Another way that they could sabotage enemies is just by confusing people. I saw a story where an army was attacking a castle and a ninja from the castle snuck into the enemy camp, stole a flag, and then hung it on the front of the castle. (laughs) So the the attacking army is like, wait a minute. Wait, we took the castle? Is that... Are we attacking our own castle? Like, that's our family crest, right? What's going on? <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. So, Paul, you mentioned siege. I did. So, what, what is siege again, exactly? Because I feel like we talked about this in a past episode, but originally I, I did not realize, like, exactly how a siege worked. Sure. So, you got two groups fighting. One of them holes up in a castle or other defensible area. The other army then surrounds them and basically tries to starve them out. Okay. So, yeah, I saw that ninja would be used to, like, scout around the defending castle to, again, like, figure out the layout, figure out where things were, figure out how deep the moat was, because that could be a possible way to get in. Yeah. Just look for weak points in the defense. Like, maybe they can starve them out faster if they can get in and, like, destroy their, their food supply or something yeah. like that. This was one of the things that surprised me about ninja because I never thought about ninja being used in something like a siege. Yeah. I thought about them as like assassins and spies, but their skills could come in really handy. Sneaking in and out of the castle. I heard stories about them freely climbing over walls of castles at night, getting in and out whenever they pleased and causing mayhem, gathering information, just really helping out. Yeah. And I think I remember we talked about how sieges can last for like a really long time, right? Like years potentially. Yeah. So if a ninja can get inside, steal a bunch of supplies and steal a bunch of food, it's like, oh, we just cut down the siege by like six months. Yeah. Poison a well. Oh, yeah. That would make quick work of that. So ninjas were good with grappling hooks, climbing up walls. But what I thought was really cool is that they also trained in teams to do acrobatic movements where they would like use each other to scale walls. That's really cool. Yeah. So another thing that Ninja did that maybe is, I don't know, maybe the first thing that comes to mind is like kind of an obvious one is assassination, right? You imagine a Ninja going in and killing some guy. The Ninja just shows up in his room and chops his head off or whatever. Yeah. So I actually found some interesting stories about ninja assassination attempts on very famous figures that we've talked about before. Okay. So Oda Nobunaga, we already mentioned him. He survived multiple assassination attempts. In 1571, a ninja tried to shoot him, but the bullets didn't penetrate his armor. 
So he survived, and then the ninja was later caught and put to death. A couple years later, another ninja tried to sneak in and kill him while he was sleeping, but that ninja was also caught and then forced to kill himself, and then his body was put on display, probably with his guts all spilling out, like real gruesome-like, I imagine. (laughs) Yeah. And then there was another story about three ninjas shooting at him after he conquered Iga, the big ninja clan, but apparently all three of these ninjas missed him but ended up killing seven of his surrounding companions. Yeah, I heard about this one, and I saw something about they were using really high-caliber guns, so like really large bullets. So maybe that's how they killed so many other guys and why they were kind of inaccurate. Hmm. So he lucked out on that one. Yeah. I saw lots of stories about ninja assassinations, but part of what makes the ninja such a great mythical thing is that If somebody gets assassinated, oftentimes no one gets caught. So was it a ninja that did it? Or who who knows who did it? Or if somebody does get caught, a ninja's not talking. So was this person really a ninja? Or were they just some thug hired off the street to go kill somebody? It's really hard to know how involved and how many assassinations ninjas really carried out. That's a good point. Uh, I saw another story about an assassination attempt on Toyotomi Hideyoshi. Mm. Apparently, a ninja tried to kill him by thrusting a spear up through the floorboards to get to him, but they missed. And then, supposedly, a ninja that Hideyoshi had hired smoked out this attacking ninja with, like, a flamethrower. Like a primitive (laughs) flamethrower. I don't know. Ninjas and fire, dude. I know. (laughs) Masters of fire. Actually, that's another thing. We'll we'll get to that. But they were known to like be kind of masters of the elements. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about some of the kinds of things that ninjas did. And to do these things, they would need a bunch of skills, right, Paul? Yeah. So ninja skills, like, collectively are referred to as ninjutsu. covers a whole bunch of stuff, pretty much any skill that a ninja could possibly need. And as we said, back in the 15th century, those Iga and Koga clans developed specialized training for these skills and passed down their techniques through the generations. So what kind of skills are we talking, Paul? Some of this stuff surprised me. Like weapon techniques, sure. Military strategy, okay. But meteorology, they were trained in? For like figuring out if the weather would be favorable for for infiltrating a place? Yeah, I guess. Or before a battle. Like, oh, it's about to rain. Your cavalry is going to get bogged down in the mud. Like, I never thought of that. That's smart, yeah. Yeah, breathing techniques. I suppose staying calm. If you were like about to assassinate someone and getting all hyped up and like hyperventilating, you'd stand out. Sure. So maybe that were maybe that's where that came in. They used lots of weapons, but we'll we'll talk more about that later. But they did a lot of training with weapons. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of their training involved just getting physically fit, right? They needed to be able to do all sorts of physical things. Yeah. Jump over a moat, climb a wall. You gotta be in good shape to do that. Yep. They did a lot of long-distance running, climbing, throwing, swimming, moving stealthily. You know, you need to be able to do all this stuff undetected. You need to be as quiet as possible for running. I thought this was interesting. I saw that training 
for running involved leaning forward or to the side so that you were forced to move quickly to maintain your balance? That seemed kind of weird. It reminded me of Naruto, though. Right, right. That just like that. That seems like blending myth with reality. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that maybe. actually does have some uh, bearing in in history. Yeah. Supposedly, they would practice their balance and stealth by walking on ice with geta. Oh, which are like those uh, geta are those kind of sandal type things with just two wooden vertical teeth sticking down. So yeah. like. It, that it'd be difficult. tough. Yeah, that sounds really hard. Like walking on ice isn't that hard once you're used to it, but on Geta? Oh, man. Yeah. We should try that. And how, how do you do that quietly? I can't imagine any part of that being quiet. All right. We're ninja trading on a lake with Geta this winter, Jason. Sounds good. Well, I guess I was imagining like ice cubes. <laughs> They're like sniffing around. That doesn't really make a lot of sense now that I think about it, but... Yeah, they yeah. just popped the ice cube tray out of the freezer back in 1522. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and now, yeah, now that I'm thinking lake, actually, that sounds kind of like not as hard. Like you could just skate along. Well, it kind of like teaches you to really keep your weight centered and right over your feet. Because yeah. when you fall on ice is when you start leaning forward or backwards or sideways. Sure, sure. Um, so you mentioned... You know, they'd have weapons, and of course, they'd have to train in each of those weapons, but they also wanted to be trained in unarmed martial arts, yep. just in case. You never know what kind of situation you're going to be in, and you can't always be carrying around like this whole war chest of weapons, you know? Yeah. Sometimes they wouldn't be carrying much at all. Uh, ninjas would have to learn to make explosives and poisons, and there's actually evidence that ninja were trained in medicine to some degree as well. Yeah, I heard that some ninja even became doctors once ninjas started fading in popularity in the Edo period. Yeah, yeah, when they had no choice but to go to other professions. Yeah, so what skill do you have? Well, I can make medicine. I can heal people. There you go. And I can poison them and kill them. <laughs> uh, lock picking would be a very useful skill. Mm, yeah. This uh, is making me want to play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> like I want to play, I want to play a ninja or a good rogue character now. Yeah, Paul, you mentioned that some techniques took multiple people to carry out, right? Yeah, well, I was talking about the acrobatic stuff. Yeah, like did you say they would have multiple people to like climb a wall? Yeah, because you yeah. can boost each other up and then pull up the last people and yeah. get a bunch of people over. I saw that when they're working with a team like that, they might have secret codes too that they could use to communicate with each other silently. Hand signals? Sure. There's some like color coding stuff too. I have some stuff about that a little later, I think. Okay. Also, I thought this was super cool. <laughs> just really smart. Like in Legend, the idea is that Ninja, they can just vanish like smoke, right? And pop up in like multiple different places really quickly. Apparently, maybe the place that that idea came from is that a group of Ninja would all dress exactly the same. And then... They could pop up in different places and people would think it was just one person. Ah, and they're like, okay. how did that person get over here so quickly? Yeah. Man, doing the research for this episode, it must be from the Ninja Turtle movies or something. I just cannot get this phrase out of my head. Ninja vanish. I think they would like throw smoke bombs in the movie and everybody would like disappear immediately. <laughs> I just kept hearing that in my head. Fun. I watched those movies a lot when I was a kid. I know. You said yeah. you've said that yeah. before. Now I really want to watch them though, because it seems like 
was it three where they actually are in Japan? I think they're in China, maybe? I don't remember. In the cop episode, we said that they were in Japan in one of them, and they called them Kappa, or somebody called them Kappa. Oh, okay, okay. Anyway. Maybe it was Japan. Uh, so a lot of ninja techniques are about stealth and escape. Yes. I mean, it's, it's one thing focus. to get in sneakily, but once you killed somebody or something, you need to be able to get out undetected as well. Yeah. So Paul Yardy talked about how fires were used to distract people yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. There were techniques for like climbing a tree and camouflaging yourself up there so yeah. nobody could see you. The funniest one to me was curling up into a ball on the ground and trying to camouflage yourself as a rock. I love that. It sounds so silly. But then when you think about it, it's like if somebody's in this castle tower, let's say, and they're scanning the grounds and it's late at night and you just see kind of these dark shapes. Yeah. If it's not moving and it's kind yeah. of roughly rock shaped, you're not going to look twice at it, right? Right. It's pretty smart. Reminds me of Lord of the Rings, like Frodo and Sam throwing their cloaks over looking like rocks. Oh, I don't remember. I've been, you know, I wanted to rewatch all three of those, like the extended versions. Yeah. So far, I've only gotten through the first one. Okay. And that, that's not the one where they did that. I don't no, think. that was the last one. Okay. I'll get there eventually. The extended versions, man. Yeah, you're in for a bit of movie. <laughs> yeah, but did you know that like the last half hour of those is just credits? It's literally like an entire half hour of credits. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, I liked this technique a lot. You could throw a bunch of duckweed into a moat and then swim underneath it. Yeah, I thought that was really cool too. So smart. But don't you think people would notice like, wait a minute, there wasn't duckweed in here earlier today? <laughs> Maybe, but things blow into the boat. I'm sure they're not yeah. always clear and clean. Or if you're just adding a little extra duckweed so it's extra hard to see you or something. I don't right. know. I don't know. Right. And I guess that stuff probably propagates pretty quickly, right? Yeah, on the right season, there'd be all sorts of things growing in there. Yeah. I thought this was really fun, too. They would use psychological skills. Mm. Like if you're trying to infiltrate a certain place, you want to be able to manipulate people and exploit their psychological weaknesses. So there were ninja skills for making somebody so angry that they just lose their cool, and then you can take advantage of that. <laughs> there were skills for gaining sympathy or for making someone lose their will to fight or for preying on someone's superstitions. Oh, or like I think you already mentioned feeding misinformation to enemy spies. Yeah. All good stuff. Yeah. Ninjas were also taught to live off the land. So if you need to flee up into the mountains to escape and get back to your friendly territory, they could survive on their own for a while. That sounds very useful. Yep. So they were like Boy Scouts surviving in the wild. Is that a fair comparison? <laughs> Did you just compare Boy Scouts to Ruthless Assassins? <laughs> I'm just kidding. They were like Boy Scouts plus a bunch of espionage and murder and all that kind of stuff. Oh, okay, that's less offensive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were Eagle Scouts and then a whole world of other skills beyond that. <laughs> so I guess, I think we already mentioned in the intro, right? Like the question of whether ninja actually dressed all in black. Right. Do they? Did, Sometimes. Did they? <laughs> if they were operating sneaky at night, they would definitely wear dark clothing and a face covering. I saw that like a dark blue might be better camouflage than black though. Yeah. It stands out less at night. Yeah. But yeah, there's, there's really no written evidence for the wearing all black thing. 
It's mostly a modern artistic convention that's supposed to emphasize the stealthiness of ninja. Yeah, ninja would wear whatever they had to wear to blend into their surroundings. Masters of disguise. And that could be, I mean, it's not just about like blending in to, you know, the grass or whatever. It's like blending into the people. society. Yeah. Yeah. So at a temple, they might dress up as a priest or to roam around freely, they might disguise themselves as merchants or monks or minstrels, really anything that would just fit in so well that no one would really pay attention to you. You might even wear the enemy's uniform if you were sneaking into their camp and trying to gather information. Super smart. There was actually a type of monk called the Komuso. Did you read about this, Paul? The guys with the baskets on their heads? That's so freaking cool. <laughs> so this word Komuso means monk of emptiness because the idea was that these monks had no ego. They were just like anonymous servants of the Buddha. So as a symbol of that, like that's why they wore the baskets on their heads as a symbol that I'm nobody. And I mean, these baskets, they're not just like, maybe you're imagining a little wicker basket kind of thing. These things are huge and they cover the entire head. They look like they could fit two heads inside them. Yeah. So these monks, that's kind of a perfect disguise for the ninja because you can't even see their face. And these monks were one of the few groups of people who were allowed to travel the country freely. Like they could go wherever they wanted because they were nobody. <laughs> so oh, just perfect for ninja. And uh, I'm going to mention Ghost of Tsushima again because that's the first place I saw that look with the basket. And I'm like, this is such a weird like cosmetic option in this game. Why, why can I wear this giant basket on my head? But now it makes perfect sense. Mm. Yeah. So besides disguises, not a ton is known about what ninja might have worn. Like I saw that their clothing might have been similar to that of a samurai. I mean, in certain situations, they would need armor. They might have like lighter armor than a fully dressed up samurai. Maybe they'd wear like chain mail or metal plates concealed under their clothes just for a little added protection. Sometimes ninja would even fight in large scale battles. In which case, they'd probably wear all the armor they could get. Probably. They also sometimes wore very soft shoes that were almost more like socks to really prevent noise when they were sneaking around. They'd sometimes wear the uh, rope-type sandals, the waraji, to help them get better traction if they were like climbing up a wall or something. So to carry out all of these secretive plans, Ninja might need to carry around a bunch of different types of tools, right? Mm. For different situations. I mean, if you're trying to get into a castle, climbing tools would be super useful, right? Yeah. Grappling hooks, ropes. I saw that even they would have collapsible ladders sometimes. Yeah. You could even, they had these like spikes or hooks on their hands that they could use kind of a claw thing that they could grab onto. Yeah. It could help climb walls. Those would double as weapons too. Sure. Paul, did you see anything about something called the kunai? No, what's a kunai? So this is another thing that I saw in Ghost of Tsushima. Okay. So it's like a little pointy throwing knife sort of looking thing. Okay. And in the game, it's used exclusively as a throwing knife, like as a weapon that you're throwing at people. But apparently, in real life, it was more commonly used for gouging holes in walls. Okay. Like, it's kind of this little thing that you could just drill into a wall with, so you could create hand or footholds. 
Ah. If you're trying to climb a wall, or you could, you know, make a hole that you can peer through, or even, I mean, if you used it to punch out a whole section of wall, then there you go, now you can get through the wall. Uh, listening devices were really useful if they were gathering information. There was something called a sauto hikigane, which is like a little horn-shaped thing that you can put up to your ear to hear better. Okay. It reminded me of, did we even mention this on the podcast before? In school, like elementary school or middle school or something, did you ever watch this movie about Beethoven? Yes. And there was like a kid that lived in the house that he lived, like he was on the top floor, the kid was on the bottom, and Beethoven's constantly pounding away on his piano, right? And the kid like tries to make friends with him and brings him a little ear horn listening device kind of thing because yeah. Beethoven was famously deaf, of course. Yeah. It reminded me of that. Me too. That's exactly what I was thinking when you brought <laughs> yeah, that up. That's crazy. <laughs> Ninja might have tools for breathing underwater. Ah. I saw that they had like tubes that they could kind of use as snorkels. Okay. That reminded me of the animated Disney Robin Hood. They do that? Where he's a fox. He used like hollow reeds as a snorkel when he was okay. kind of sneaking underwater. I saw that they could also have inflatable skins that they could hold extra air in so like they could stay underwater for longer. My thing there though is wouldn't they float? Like they how do you keep it under Definitely water? would. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Unless maybe they have like weighted shoes and they're walking along the bottom carrying Yeah, you know, I suppose. This, could I be. Know. Could be. It could happen. They were clever. Yeah. Uh, so I talked about the color code stuff, right? Apparently they would carry different colors of rice and then use it to communicate with each other and to mark trails. Like they could just sprinkle some rice somewhere and then if another ninja saw that, it's like, oh, this is a good place to get in or something like that. Colors of rice. Yeah. Like brown rice versus polished rice. I saw pictures of like really brightly colored, like painted rice. Like it's not edible. They would like paint it bright oh, pink okay, or yellow okay. or whatever. Okay. Or blue. Sure. So yeah, there were a lot of things that ninjas could carry for different situations, but you wouldn't carry all of this at the same time. Like you would kind of pick out just a few things that you needed for a specific mission. And it was really important to bring things that were versatile that you could use in a bunch of different ways. So in addition to tools, of course, Ninja needs some weapons, right, Paul? Of course. What do we got? The main weapon for a ninja is going to be the sword. The katana? Yeah. Perhaps a little bit shorter than the standard ones used by samurai in case they need to swing it in close quarters. Sure. Ninja also often wore their sword on their back to keep it from clanking or getting stuck on things as they were sneaking around. So, Paul, this is one of the points where I saw some contradictions okay. in my research because... You know, the popular image of the ninja, you, you, you probably imagine them with a sword on their back. That kind of makes sense. And some sources I saw agreed with that. But then some said that you might only do this in certain situations, like if you're crawling under a floor. Because, I mean, I could imagine, like, you kind of have less control of exactly where that sword is when it's on your back. Like, maybe you accidentally knock it against something, and it'd be easier to control if it was down by your waist, you know? Maybe. It might also be harder to draw the sword if it's strapped to your back. Like, you can draw it faster for sure if it's around, like, strapped to your waist, right? So, I don't know. It, I, I totally agree that it's situational. If they're fighting, like, a set battle, it would be at their waist. 
But if they were sneaking around in the right situation, maybe it'd be on their back. Yeah. Again, versatility is key as a ninja, right? Yeah. Paul, did you read anything about a sword called the Ninjato? No. Okay. If you look up Ninjato, like N-I-N-J-A-T-O, you're going to see pictures of a sword that looks sort of like a katana, except it doesn't have that characteristic curve. It's just like straight, and it's a bit shorter than a katana. Like you said, they would kind of have shorter swords. And you see this a lot in modern depictions, but there's actually no historical evidence for ninjas ever having used swords quite like that. Okay. It didn't appear in writing until the 1950s. Oh, wow. The idea of this straight sword. But then, you know, I also saw some sources that seem to accept the ninja toe as historical fact. So I think it's another one of those things that's kind of blending history with legend. So, yeah. Okay. One of the most interesting things I saw about Ninja's sword is that they would use it as a step to climb. Yeah. You'd lean it against the wall and then you would step on the handguard to climb up and then hook your foot through the string or whatever it was on the scabbard and pull your sword back up to you. It's pretty smart. That's really cool. Yeah. Versatility. You know, every everything you're carrying, you gotta be able to use it for a bunch of different things. Yeah. Gotta be creative. It's a sword, but you can climb with it too. Yeah. Paul, you wanna talk about shooty ken a little bit? Yeah. Because I learned a lot that I did not know. Really? I mean, I guess the main thing is like, I always imagined Shuriken as throwing stars, you know? They're shaped like a star. They might have different numbers of points on them. Mm -hmm. And I've thrown a bunch of these at uh, the Renaissance Festival and other places, you know? Yeah. I have a little bit of experience with Shuriken, you could say. Yeah. But what I didn't realize is that that little star, like flat star type shape, that's only one type of Shuriken. There are a bunch of different kinds. I mean, I know they're shaped differently, but like, what do you mean by they're not shaped like a star? So there are some types of shuriken that are basically knives. Like they're shaped like little sticks with sharpened ends. Wasn't that a throwing knife then? They still called them shuriken. Like they fall under that umbrella, apparently. Okay. There are ones that even look like darts. Ah, okay. Yeah. Like it's got a little kind of tuft on the back. Yeah. And you can just whip that at somebody. Dark could hurt someone pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, the ones that I saw pictures of, they looked... I mean, they're not even, like, throwing darts like the game. They're, they look they're pretty like, serious. They're, like, big and dangerous. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. I just didn't realize there were so many different shapes. Like, if you Google Shuriken, I don't know, and find, like, a, a website that goes into a lot of detail, you'll find some interesting pictures. So, w- why would Ninja use Shuriken? Like, I think I always imagined, oh, they just throw them at people to hurt them. If they're like being chased or something, they can use them to, you know. Yeah, I heard they were used as like getaway devices. Mm -hmm. You know, throw them at the people chasing you to give yourself some space. They were also really small, so they're easy to carry with you. Like carrying a bow and arrows with you when you're sneaking around is a lot. But you could have some shurikens stuffed into your waist belt and that would be a little easier. Yeah. So you could use them to like hurt people or just slow them down if they're chasing you or whatever. They couldn't do a ton of damage on their own, but I saw that if you put poison on the tips. Oh. uh, Yeah. Right. I don't know. It would take a heck of a shot for like a shuriken to kill someone in one spot, but if I got hit with one, I would slow down. I guarantee you that. Yeah. If I was chasing somebody and a whack. Oh, man. I'd stop for a minute. Faux show. 
So you mentioned bows. I saw that ninjas would actually use bows sometimes. Sure. But they would be generally smaller than the ones that samurai used. I know we talked, well, probably in the samurai episode about how they had, samurai had these huge bows, like really tall ones. So ninjas would have shorter ones that were more portable. Mm. Paul, you must have seen something about the kusarigama, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. These might be like one of the coolest ninja weapons. Absolutely. So we're talking a small sickle on a chain that you could twirl around. You could use it to knock weapons out of someone's hand or try to trip them up with it. Now, to be clear... Like when I first saw this thing, I was imagining, oh, you hold the end of the chain and you swing the sickle around, but that's not quite how it worked, right? I thought you swung the sickle or threw the sickle at him. From what I read, you would be holding the sickle in one hand and then swinging the chain around in the other hand. Okay. And then you swing the chain at somebody to like tangle up their legs or tangle up their weapon or whatever. And then then when they're incapacitated, (laughs) that's when you run in there and just slice them up with the sickle. Okay, that kind of makes sense too because then if they get on you, you still have like a weapon in your hand to defend yourself. Yeah. I mean, what good would it be if the sickle wraps around their weapon, then they've got their weapon and your sickle and you're just holding onto a chain? I've just watched too much anime where they're throwing those things around like crazy and cutting off limbs and stuff. Mm. That's probably not really reality. (laughs) This kind of reminded me of Kill Bill 2 where there's that... uh, Kill Bill as well, not necessarily Kill Bill 2. I'm pretty sure it was in the first movie where there was that Japanese girl that had like a a metal ball on the end of a chain and she could like swing it around and did all these fancy moves. Mm -hmm. Did you see those movies? Um, I have a long time ago, but I'm one of the only people in the world that didn't really like Kill Bill for some reason. So I don't You like other Tarantino movies? Uh, They're okay. I'm not not super into Tarantino. It's okay, everybody. Paul just. He just doesn't understand. I wasn't I wasn't an angsty enough teenager to get Tarantino, so you know. What? Tarantino was like a big martial arts nerd. How could you not be into his movies? I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. We'll have to explore this further offline. Anyway, uh, what about Makibishi, Paul? What's that? Makibishi were caltrops. That's another word for him. Ah, the caltrops. Okay. Yeah, the caltrops are little four-sided spikes that you'd throw behind you to have people step on them so they would uh, get their foot impaled and stop chasing you. I think there are a bunch of different types of caltrops that have different numbers of points and stuff. I think you need at least four to always have one pointing up. One, two, three. I guess that makes sense, sure. I saw that that word, makibishi, actually means scattered water chestnuts <laughs> because one form of caltrops that they would use were actually dried seed pods of the water chestnut. Yeah. Did you see pictures of those? I did. They look scary, man. They do. I do not want to step on one of those. I've never seen those before. I hadn't either. Google water chestnut seed pod. <laughs> blow your mind. <laughs> I'm not going to trust anyone growing water chestnuts in their yard. I don't even have any idea how water chestnuts grow. I don't either. The only mental connection I have with water chestnuts is they were those crunchy, flavorless things in like the mixed veggies that my parents served me when I was a kid. Uh, I think of them in like a curry. Oh, 
vegan curries, I guess, have those. I've never come across those in curries, I don't think. You got to get those veggies in there. Eh. You're right that they don't have much flavor, though. They're just texture, and I don't particularly like the texture. I always thought it was really weird how they, crunchy they were. It's really, yeah, they're really crunchy and crispy. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Uh, Paul, did you read about Mitsubishi, also known as blinding powder? No, not much. So ninjas could use this stuff to temporarily or permanently blind people. They just had this powder they would make out of all sorts of things. There was like ground up pepper in there, ashes, sometimes even crushed glass. And they just like carry a pouch of this and then blow it into their opponent's eyes. That sounds so awful. Like pocket sand. (laughs) (laughs) Just getting crushed glass blown into your eyes. Oh, man. Yeah, it's brutal. That is. You could even put some of this stuff in your katana scabbard so that when you drew your sword, it would like fling some of it into their eyes. Okay. That's fighting dirty. Yeah. You can see why a samurai wouldn't be uh, okay with doing that. Yeah. yeah. Did you see anything about fumibari, the little pins that they oh. would hide in their mouths and spit at people? I heard, of, I heard something about that. I wasn't sure how like... Yeah, I saw like one source talking about it a lot, but I couldn't find a lot of corroborating stuff. It seemed a little tenuous to me. So I'm not sure how mythical this is, but they would barely hide pins in their mouth and like shoot it at your eye or your face. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah. That reminds me, if we're not going too off the rails here with all these tangents, there's this Junji Ito story or a, bunch, a series of stories about this family, this like weird, creepy family. And there's this one super creepy, messed up kid that would always like have nails in his mouth. Mm. And he's just always chewing on nails and he would like spit them at people and stuff. <laughs> That's creepy. Yeah. Ninjas also used various explosive and incendiary devices. They'd have some that were like smoke bombs to disguise and get away, but they also made poison gas bombs that you would light and it would put poisonous fumes into the air. They also made explosive devices too that they would light and would blow up to cause distractions or damage as well. So the ninjas were masters of not just fire, but explosion as well. Sweet. (laughs) Yeah. So how about all the mythical supernatural abilities that have been ascribed to ninjas? What do you mean mythical? That's all totally real. Oh, okay, okay. Let's talk about all the real things that ninjas have done. All right. Ninjas were actually invisible. They had ways of turning invisible, believe it or not. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, probably not. But, I mean, at the time that ninjas were active, some people actually believed in this stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. People still believe in stuff like this. Yeah, and ninjas themselves would actually spread these ideas intentionally to scare people and make themselves sound really cool and threatening. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the invisibility idea makes a lot of sense when you think about all the techniques that they had to remain undetected. I mean, a ton of their skills were specifically about being unseen while you're doing all this stuff. And I imagine the samurai might be tempted to use this as an excuse for why they didn't catch a ninja. It's like, what do you expect from me? He's literally invisible. Yeah. So we mentioned earlier about kabuki theater and ninjas. They were sometimes portrayed as almost sorcerer-like characters. 
So they would intertwine magic with the ninja characters. So there would often be magical invisibility tied to them as well. And that's, I think, where some of these invisibility myths start taking off from. Cool. Uh, there's this idea that ninjas had ways of walking on water, maybe using little floating shoes or something like that. Yeah, the idea that ninjas were masters of the elements. Yes. Apparently, Mythbusters did an episode about this idea. Of walking on water? Yeah. Like, specifically, I think about ninjas having ways of walking on water, and they tested out a bunch of different methods. Okay. Did any of them work? Not really. Their conclusion (laughs) was it's probably not really possible to do this. Yeah. Except maybe in, like, shallow areas, like rice paddies or marshlands, where it's not, like, just open water. You know, maybe it's possible, but... Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we keep talking about the the natural elements, ninjas having control over natural elements. This reminded me of like Avatar the Last Airbender. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, they were sneaky. They lit stuff on fire. People might have gotten the idea that they could set things on fire just by looking at them, you know? Maybe they had pyrokinesis or something like that. <laughs> I bet a delayed fuse could give people that uh, impression. Oh, totally. Yeah. And then, Paul, did you read much about Kujikiri? No. Those are those hand motions you were talking about? Yeah. So, the idea is almost like they had these magical spells that they could cast by doing different hand motions and using certain words. Ah. And there's a bunch of different stuff they could supposedly do. Like, they had Kujikiri that could summon inner strength, or they could hypnotize people, or temporarily paralyze people even. So, yeah, I don't know exactly where that came from. It's kind of weird. Like, I wonder if maybe enemies just see this guy wiggling his fingers around and they're just kind of stunned for a second. Like, what is this dude doing? I'm just thinking if it was me as a soldier, I would take that excuse. I'd be like, this guy's throwing bombs. This guy's lighting fires. He's cutting people down. He wiggles his arms around. I'm going to be like, oh, I can't move. Oh, no, I can't pursue this guy anymore. It was magic. It's not my fault. That's pretty dishonorable, Paul. Just wimping out and blaming it on their supernatural powers. I would just try to talk my way out of it. (laughs) All right, Paul. So these, these guys sound pretty formidable, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what can you do to defend yourself against a ninja? I thought this was the most surprising and interesting part of the whole research. Yeah? Because I knew a lot about ninjas, but I thought, you know, most of it was mythical. But seeing all of the things that were done to defend against ninjas makes me really believe that ninjas were really doing a lot in reality if they were going to these lengths to defend against them. Totally. So there were a lot of countermeasures developed against ninja. Some people would go as far as hiding weapons around, like hiding a weapon in the bathroom. I think you talked about someone getting assassinated in a bathroom once. I don't, did I? I don't think I mentioned that, but I definitely read about somebody okay. getting, uh, like, there was, a, there was a legend. I don't think it's necessarily true, but right, there's right. a legend of a ninja sneaking under a toilet or yeah, something. Yeah, he was like hiding in a latrine and was going to stab yeah. the guy from underneath. But if you think about it, that's kind of when you're at your most vulnerable. Yeah, it makes sense. So you have a place. weapon at the ready or hiding weapons under floorboards in your castle. Or in the so they ceiling. Were, 
always around when you needed it. This reminded me of Dwight Fruit. <laughs> Bear spray. You've seen that, right? Yeah. Where, like, I forget why it is exactly, but one day he has to like run around and grab all of his weapons that he's hidden around the office. Oh, I, I just remember when uh, I think Roy tried to punch Jim and Dwight Bear maced him. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a great show. <laughs> yeah. The Office, by the way. If anyone, I mean, everybody knows that show, right? Buildings were constructed with tripwires and traps, alarm bells. You have some personal experience with that, don't you? Yeah. I mean, in Out of Wonderland, uh, I snuck through a little ninja training scenario. Did you, though? Did you sneak through? I uh, I hit one rope, I think. One rope? Did you hit uh, one, one rope? One rope. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. I think it. I have video evidence that might contradict that story. One rope <laughs> right. until proven otherwise. But I just grazed it. It didn't even set the bell off. It's going on Instagram, <laughs> that video. <laughs> yeah, dude, please do. Uh, you might also want to cover the ground around your place in gravel. Because it's, I mean, ninjas are pretty good at walking silently, but gravel can be pretty noisy. Yeah. Along that same lines, some castles were designed to have especially creaky floors so that you could always hear if someone was walking around. Yeah. At Nijo Castle in Kyoto, they have what they call nightingale floors that are made specifically to squeak really loudly whenever somebody walks on them. That's wild, man. Yeah, that's really cool. Since Ninja often burned places down, you could try to space out the buildings in your compound to prevent them from burning down the whole place in one shot, right? Yeah. And some uh, castles were designed with hidden trap doors or rotating walls so you could hide or get away when you needed to. I mean, even just the standard setup for a Japanese castle can be a really good defense against ninjas because... They were made specifically to confuse attackers and like make it unclear exactly how you get to the main keep at the center. Yeah. Narrow winding paths so you could defend them easier. And yeah. It was like a big maze that you had to go through to get to the middle. So, you know, even if ninjas were good at scouting and stuff, it'd still be hard from the outside to see exactly like, okay, we go here and then we go here and then oh, I don't, where do you go next? Yeah. Um, we also talked in the castles episode about how at that main keep in the center, a lot of times you'd have a different number of floors on the inside than you do on the outside. So like if the ninja is scouting the place from the outside, like, okay, we got four floors, then they get inside and discover that they're actually on a different floor than the one they think they're on. It's going to be confusing. Yeah. Put them at a disadvantage. So yeah, sounds like a really stressful way to live, being constantly uh, on the lookout for ninjas, huh? Agreed. So now we know all about ninja. So where in Japan today can we find cool ninja stuff, Jason? All over the place. If you <laughs> yep. want a ninja experience, you got a bunch of options. Yeah. Do you want to start with stuff around Tokyo? I got a bunch of stuff around Tokyo. That's where I was going to end, but we can start there. Okay. Uh, ninja Tokyo is a ninja-themed restaurant. We actually talked about it in episode 49, which was all about themed restaurants. Yeah. But it used to be called Ninja Akasaka. I think that's what we referred to it as. I think it was just recently that they changed their name, right? 
Well, yeah, at this place, you're served by ninjas. The whole place is decorated with the ninja theme, of course. All the food is on theme. Sounds pretty cool. They hire magicians that dress as ninjas and go around doing cool ninja magic tricks. I bet they got mastery of the natural elements. Uh, There's definitely some fire involved, I guarantee you that. I think I've seen little videos of that. So the show is free with dinner there. It looks super cool. It's elaborately decorated inside. Yeah. If you want some lighthearted ninja training type stuff, Paul just mentioned Edo Wonderland. That's Mm -hmm. in Nikko, which is not a long ride from Tokyo. I guess we just talked about Edo Wonderland in our recap episode. Yeah. Uh, it's super fun. It's a really cool place. Yeah. And a lot of like ninja type stuff. I mean, it's yeah. you know, more kind of the ninja legend type stuff than actual historical fact, but... But it's really fun. Yeah, and definitely a great place to bring kids yeah. that are interested yeah. in ninjas. Ninja maze, ninja training, ninja shows. Yep. Uh, on the last weekend in August each year, there's an Odawara Fuma Ninja Festival at Odawara Castle. Did you read about that, Paul? No. You can wear a ninja costume there. You can try out some throwing knives, blow darts, bows and arrows. Sounds fun. It does. If you want to get a little more serious, you could go to Jidai Academy Dojo. It's a little expensive, but you can get a two-hour crash course where they train you to use ninja weapons. Or if you pay a little bit more, they even have a ninja and samurai certification course. You can get certified. Call yourself a certified ninja. Nice. Samurai. That'd be cool to put on your wall, like frame it and put it in your cubicle or something, right? Yeah. Somebody needs to go there and learn how to use the sickle and chain and let us all know exactly how that's done. Yeah. Report back. If you want to get even more serious than that... There's a place called Bujin Khan Dojo, which is actually a real martial arts dojo where you can sign up for this whole ninja course. So it's not even just like a one-time thing. This is like if you lived in Tokyo or something and you wanted to keep going back and learn all the stuff. It's apparently very foreigner-friendly too. Oh, nice. Yeah. If you want to get to authentic ninja territory, there is a ninja museum in Iga. Is that the Igaryu Ninja Village and Museum? Yeah. That's in Mie Prefecture, by the way. I think Paul mentioned earlier, this area is just kind of a little bit east of Kyoto. Yep. They've got ninja tools on display and weapons. There's a demonstration zone where they do shows featuring ninja skills. That sounds pretty cool. I hear they have an amazing gift shop. Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah. There's a ninja residence that has all the revolving walls and trap doors and hidden compartments you'd expect. That would be fun to explore. There's also a similar place in Koka called Koka Ninja Village. That's the other big ninja clan. And that's in Shiga Prefecture, which is not super far from the Iga territory. Yeah. And they also have a ninja house and a ninja museum. They also have a throwing star range, too. I saw... So this place is kind of mostly aimed at kids, it seemed like. But they can try walking on water. There's an obstacle course, a trick house. I did see somebody mention that it's kind of run down these days, but... Hmm. Oh, sounds fun. Yeah, it's kind of out in the rural area. Yeah. 
another popular ninja amusement park for kids is actually, I think, a place we've talked about before in one of the region episodes. It's called Togakushi Ninja Village mm. near Nagano. And it's got a lot of the same stuff as, as these other places. And not far from there, they also have a ninja trick house and a folk museum where you can see how ninja might have lived. Mm. There's Ninja Dera, Ninja Temple in Kanazawa, which is its nickname. But it has that nickname because it has a bunch of defense things aimed at guarding against attacks. So there's guided tours that show hidden tunnels and secret rooms and traps. But I heard the tours are only in Japanese at the moment. But that sounds like a kind of cool place to visit. Yeah. I was in Kanazawa, and I think that's the reason I didn't end up going there is because I heard there's like no English support. Yeah. But that does sound cool. So if you're in Japan, you got a bunch of options to check out some ninja artifacts, ninja lifestyle, ninja training, all that good stuff. Well, I think that's about it for me, Paul. Any, uh, any final words? No, I think we're good. All right. Well, again, if you want to join us on Discord or check out our Patreon, you can find those links in the show notes. You can also find those links at our website, sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. You can also find those links on Instagram, where we are at SJP Podcast. Paul, what is coming up next time? Our next episode is about ume, Japanese plums. That'll be interesting. I was thinking about that recently. I really hope there's enough to fill up a whole episode. But, I mean, just off the top of my head, I can list like a bunch of things that they do with these things in Japan. So They seem to be widely used. Yeah. So I think if we really dig into it, I'm sure there's a fascinating story behind them. If not, it was Jason's idea. I'll take the fall for that one. But, you know, I'm, I'm the one who didn't want to do Ninja, so I can't say anything. Yeah, Paul's full I of was <laughs> wrong. We got so many good ideas, though. There's so many good episodes. Well, you're priming them in case this one is crappy? <laughs> it's going to be a good one, I promise. <laughs> oh, I was just trying to throw you under the bus. Okay. That's all. Well, fair enough. No one listens to the outros anyways, <laughs> right? <laughs> Probably. If you heard this, let us know. I'm really curious. I think most people probably turned it off by now. But. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.